0: As we come to a time of prayer, I want to make one mention, uh, Elizabeth Sweeney, a member of our church, her brother passed away tragically this weekend, and she's on her way uh, over to uh, Mississippi uh, to be with the family. He was a student at Ole Miss, and you can just imagine um, the chaos uh, that's ensuing in that family of trying to figure out meaning and why and uh, how does God what's going on in the middle of it. So please be in prayer for them. Her husband, Brad, had sinus surgery. If any of you have all have had sinus surgery, it's incredibly painful. So he's a bit incapacitated. So um, they just really need our prayers as a church family. And then when they get back, you know what I'd love? I'd love for them to be so overwhelmed by the love and generosity of this church that they would call the church office and say, please stop the people from calling or making or dropping a note or doing that. So you can get there. Information from the church office and just drop them a note to say, We're praying for you. We love you. We'll lift you before the throne of the only one who has answers for these types of situations. So let's go there now ourselves as well. Father, we praise you. We praise your name. We come before you and we lift our prayers uh, to your throne, to the only place of true power in all of the universe. For we know that it is only by your hand that anything happens, exists, goes forward. And, Father, we throw ourselves uh, at your feet, trusting you fully. Not understanding you fully, but trusting you fully. Father, would you minister in the midst of the great joys that we experience in life, of anniversaries and of births of new children, of celebrations of marriage, uh, of Extended weekends of no school, of vacations, of fun at the beach. But would you also care for us as we cast the difficult things to you as well? Of loss of a brother, a son, a friend. What we would say is too soon, he's too young. Father, would you make sense out of that tragedy? Would you care for your children? Father, would you care for those who are in the midst of cancer treatment, in the midst of radiation and chemo, in the midst of, of dialysis, in the midst of just growing old, in the midst of forgetting things that they used to remember. Father, would you be very near to us in those times? Father, celebrated a holiday this week, but would we always celebrate... The love of Christ in our lives and in our marriages? Would you strengthen and fortify our marriages? Would you protect our families from the assault of the world that's around us that creeps in at times so subtly and undermines, that gives us thoughts of maybe we'd be happy with someone else, that maybe this person doesn't really have my best interest in mind, maybe I made a mistake those years ago? Father, would you come and would you do incredible work in our marriages? Uh, Would you lift us that we would see you and would we love one another as Christ loved the church and gave himself for us? He died for us and then he presented us faultless and spotless to you, the king. Father, would we be the same in our marriages? Father, we pray for our families, for our children, that as they grow to be young men and women, that they would see Christ in us Father, if we have not lived in such a manner that brings you honor and glory, would you convict us of those things, lead us to our knees in repentance and then reestablish in our homes uh, your name? Uh, Would you reestablish your word in our homes? Would you establish prayer in our homes that we would lead our families well, that we would see our children grow up to love you, to be able to, as we uh, saw and celebrated in baptism, to not know a day when they didn't love Christ, to know the work of the Spirit in their lives, to see great things happen. Father, we praise you and we thank you for our church, for the wonderful things that are happening in our midst. But would we never be satisfied with the little things, but would we always press forward for the eternal things, that we want to see lives changed for eternity. We want to see our church grow by people coming in uh, who have been been broken under the weight of their sin and now hear the good news of the gospel and come and celebrate each week Father, would we reach out to our neighbors and our neighborhoods? Would we serve others by building fences and, and providing clothing, by painting walls, by, by bringing food, by doing all the little things? For it's in those that we share Christ. Father, now come by the power of your spirit as we consider your word together today, that we would grow and that we would know that there is meaning in the world. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And so we come again this week and we are being engaged by it's the writer of Ecclesiastes, the, the Koheleth, the, the philosophy professor, the gatherer, convener uh, of a discussion. You remember we've been sitting in his classroom over these last couple of Sundays and we are being challenged to think. Uh, I was sent a a Facebook uh, picture this week and it had that quote that I put up front. And I hope you'll take time each week. Uh, I put together a few things each Sunday just for you to consider as you're coming in to the worship service. They're usually printed right there in the front uh, under preparation. And this is from Sir Joshua Reynolds who said, There is no expedient to which a man will not resort to avoid the real labor of thinking. Ha! Think about that. In our day and age, it's called a remote control. It's called anything other than having to sit quietly and contemplate things. What's the most uncomfortable part of of the worship service for you? I would imagine for some of you, it's that incredibly long, lengthy 30 seconds that I make you sit in silence and say contemplate. Consider for a moment. Let your mind wander down to deep and eternal and meaningful things. You will go to any any extent to not do that. I find myself constantly with my phone now. In just moments where I normally would have just sat and looked. Grilling chicken last night around the grill. It was a cool evening. The wind was blowing. And instead of just considering those things... I got on my phone and I was just checking up on what's happening in the world, turning my mind off, not burning the chicken, thankfully, but just not engaging. Or when you're with one another, you don't engage things well. What we're trying to do in these, in these weeks together is engage our minds and our hearts on deep and profound things. What's the meaning of life? What's it all about? Now most, uh, I I did some reading this week. Most church uh, growth experts would say that is not the topic to use to grow your church. And what I'm going to talk on today is literally thrown into the category of it would be wise for you as pastors not to discuss such things because the answers are too difficult, therefore just move on. And what we're talking about today is where's the justice? How do I interpret suffering and tragedy in the world? Those are light topics, aren't they? But you see... I think that the meaning uh, of the gathering of the church, not only to to glorify God, is to challenge God's people to consider where is God in the middle of the difficult things? Where is God in the midst of the loss of a loved one? Where is God in the midst of the loss uh, of this, that, or the other? Where is God in the midst of cancer? Uh, Where is God in the midst of asking the question, is all there is what there is? Is all there is what there is that I can see? Is this really And the Koheleth, the teacher, is challenging us along those lines. And he has been basically saying to us, if all there is, is life under the sun, if there is nothing above the sun, if there is no God who created all things in his image by the power of his word and sustains all things by his word and governs all things and there is not one renegade molecule in all of the universe, if there is only life under the sun then have the guts enough and the fortitude of soul to say it has no meaning, it's meaningless, it's just vanity of vanities, all is vanity, it's striving after the wind, just give up. But we don't have those guts, do we? Even the atheist doesn't have the guts to admit that if there's nothing more than this life, then life is meaningful and all you're doing is trying to create some framework, some matrix by which you can create some meaning so that you can get through this miserable life until you die and go off into a non-existence. Now you're going, wow, Bill, that's kind of harsh. That's the Koheleth. He's saying his experience and your experience is this. Think about it. If all there is is this life, if that's all there is, wow, I mean, we've had a good run, but if that's it. Ooh, we got some good kids. We've enjoyed some wonderful places, but if that's all there is, I mean, the things that I've, I've experienced in my life, that's it. There's no meaning to them. You mean the loss that I've experienced? There's no meaning? What you run into, if it's only life under the sun, is you run into deep and profound thoughts that lead you back to that original statement. You will now do anything and everything not to consider those things because they're too much. But I want you to consider those things, for there's some of you here who need to hear this today. You have been going around, you've been denying the reality of a God who is above the sun, who created the sun, who gives meaning to it, and he is calling out to you today to say, I want you to meet me today, and I want to give meaning to your life. I may not give you all the answers to every little thing that ever happened. You will not understand why I've done everything, but I want you to know that I've written your story. And that there's more to be written even into eternity if you believe that there's more than just vanity of vanities and striving after the wind. God wants you to press into the eternal questions and guess what you find there? You find him. You find a God who says, I'm more than you ever need or imagined. We're coming to chapter 3 of this chapter of Ecclesiastes, and as we come to chapter 3, maybe the beginning of it brings you, I didn't have it printed, but maybe it brings you to an old folk song by the mamas uh, and the papas. For everything there is a season. And a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. Turn, turn, turn. There is a season for everything. Turn. And you hear those words and you think at some level, that's sweet, that's good, that's nice. But they stopped too soon. They were afraid to go to verse 9. Because the mamas and the papas couldn't handle verse 9. What gain has the worker from his toil? Life just keeps rolling on and on. You live, you die. You die, you live. It keeps rolling cyclically on and on. Everything has its season and its place. And all of history rolls on and on and on and my miserable life is in the middle of that rolling on and on and what gain what profit is there for my life it's meaningless it has nothing no bearing remember what we said about that word gain how important that word was to the Kohelet to the writer For he said that word gain is that residual effect that you have in the world, that profit that you leave, that which is left behind. And what he was writing here was, I've looked back over the course of all of history, I've looked back over all things that I know and understand, and I see that there are all of these seasons of life, but they mean nothing if that's all there is. If it's just life under the sun. That wouldn't have been a very good chorus to that song, would it? (laughs) he would not go wouldn't have run up the charts like it did so they had to stop at verse eight so verse nine picks up goes what gain has the worker from his toil i have seen the business of that god has given to the children of man to be busy with he has made everything beautiful in its time also he has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what god has done from the beginning to the end I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which has already been, that which is to be, already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Chapter 4. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold the tears of the oppressed, and they had, had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been. And has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Wouldn't you have loved to hang out with him for a while? So how's it going today Solomon? Do you really want to know? Let me tell you what I've discovered today. And what he discovered today. Was not only does life not make any sense to me. That basically the best thing for a man to do is just work really hard. Just suck it up. Go down into the coal mine, and you're going to die of black lung disease. But what else is your lot in life? You're going to make a million dollars, and then you're going to lose it. And your, your children are going to waste it on things that you never would have wanted them to do. What does it matter? Life is just life. And you're no different from a dog or a cat or an animal in the field. The beasts and us are all the same if there's no meaning over the sun. And then, to add to it, I decided I'd go look at the judicial system. I'd go look at the monarchies. I'd go look around the world and I'd look at the oppressed and I'd look at the poor and I'd look at the needy and I'd think there has to be some justice there. And what I found there in the seat where righteousness should sit, in the seat of where justice should sit, I found oppressors. I found those who would abuse the weak and manipulate them for their own gain and use them for their political gain. And all's vanity. And you know what I've concluded about it? The happiest and best people are those who haven't been born. I'm a little discouraged. <laughs> because you know what? If you're honest with yourself, you've had some of those questions. If you have allowed your mind to go beyond just the surface and you've wrestled down just a little bit more, you've gone there. Now, for many of you, you've come to the ultimate conclusions that the Kohelet comes to, that there has to be life above the sun and you found God there. You found Christ there. As Corey Tinboom said, there is no hole so deep that God is not yet deeper still. That what you found in the depths of your suffering, what you found in the depths of all of this, you found God still there. But for others, February 1993, we were living in Jackson, Mississippi. We made the beautiful decision to go see Schindler's List in February for my birthday. That's a happy, cheery movie to go see for your birthday. I remember leaving the movie. And Lisa wondering, you didn't like it? I said, no, it was incredibly powerful. But as I watched the oppressors do incredibly horrible things to the Jews, I could not balance or come to any understanding how the one who pulled the trigger and the one who received the bullet if both denied the reality of Christ, went to the same place. There had to be justice. Someone had to pay for the atrocities. Someone had to deal with that. It didn't seem fair to me. I wanted to be... I found myself running back to English Lit class and going to Dante and going, there have to be deeper planes of hell for those who pulled the trigger than for those who received it. God has to have some kind of of, of, of balance and justice in those things. And I got up and I left the auditorium. And I didn't watch that movie for years because I was wrestling with deep and profound things. Now, simultaneously, what was happening in my life in our life at that time was my father had died suddenly just about nine months earlier. We had found out that Lisa was, well, I guess it was a year and a half earlier, we found out that Lisa was pregnant with our first child and lost him. And then got excited that she was pregnant with our second child and lost him. And now she was pregnant with our third child and we were told to get ready because she was going to lose him too. God, none of this makes sense. We're living our lives, we're doing this And it all seems like some eternal crapshoot that none of it makes sense. And I was in seminary, by the way, trying to figure out how to explain all of these profound things to you all. And I was in a massive crisis of faith. We weren't getting along. We were trying to figure it all out. And I would read Ecclesiastes and I would go, yep, I know right where he is. Until I had an awesome professor say, Bill, you haven't found, though, truly found the God of Ecclesiastes. There's more to it than just living and dying. There's meaning to your father's death. There's meaning to the loss of your little ones. There's meaning to all of these things, but you're not going to the right source. You're trying to interpret history by history. You're trying to interpret the contemporary life that you live by the contemporary life instead of looking beyond the sun to one and saying, okay, God, you give meaning to this. And that's what the writer here is doing. Because you see... History is a major problem for the thoughtful person. Isn't it? I was a history major. You know what I found in the history department at Presbyterian College? I found atheists who were the professors. You want to know why? They'd studied history. And they'd found that history was full of evil and wretchedness. And there's no way that there could be a good and benevolent God that the Bible speaks of. And you know what I found by others who are studying history? They lost their faith along the way. Because history is an incredible challenge to the philosopher. For they they come and, and they look at it and they try to interpret it and make meaning of it. And what really they're doing is they're looking at history under the sun. There really is no meaning if that's all there is. It just is cyclical, cyclical. That's all there is. And you're just in it. And it's a crapshoot. I hope you get home today. But I'm not sure you will. Uh Uh-oh, now what do I do? But, I'm getting ahead in my notes, but I need to say this here in case I have to cut ourselves short a little bit today. But here's the deal. If there's more to life than just life under the sun, then it doesn't matter whether you get home or not. Because if you trust in an eternal God who has scripted all things... And who absolutely says, I love you more than anything else in the world. And through the work of my son in your life, I view you as my very righteousness. And that my son looked into all eternity. And he said, for the joy set before me. And what he saw was you today. He said, for that, I am willing to suffer the things that I'm willing to suffer and give meaning to it. Then you can get in your car and you can drive home and you can say, God, whatever comes, comes. And I fully trust your hand in the middle of it. And you know what it does? You drive confidently home. You're not terrified anymore. Do I know why a young man died at Ole Miss this week? I have absolutely no idea. And I'm afraid the family won't know either. But God is saying this, you can still know me and trust me in the middle of it. That there is meaning and there is significance. There is more to the story than just your story. It's a part of something greater. It's a part of something eternal. That you can have a conversation in a coffee shop here this week. And just by that conversation, do you realize that in the midst of that conversation, you can tell somebody about the good news of the gospel, about the grace of Jesus Christ, because of a silly seeming random conversation over a bad cup of coffee and a donut, that person will be in heaven forever. Forever. Does that give meaning to your trip to Dunkin' Donuts or to Starbucks? I don't want to pick on them. Does that give meaning to it? It's not just random anymore, is it? Or could it possibly be that God in all of time in history orchestrated all things so that your appetite rumbled at just that right moment and you just happened to be in the proximity with just enough money to walk into just the right place, to buy just the right cup of coffee and just the right pastry and that person just happened to be there because of God's plan of ordaining all things so that you would intersect one another at that moment in history and forever change eternity. Does that give a little more meaning to your life? But if it's all just under the sun, who cares? Don't talk to anybody. Get your coffee, get your donut, and go home. But if you believe there's more to it, then engage life fully. Looking at it all and going, it has significance and meaning. And then the writer the Kohelis comes and he goes, not only was I looking at history and it had no meaning, except meaning when I found God. I looked at justice and there was no justice in the world. You see, because if life is only under the sun, then how can you have any standard of justice? If the standard of truth and the standard of right and wrong is determined by those who are underneath the sun and there is no one above the sun absolute, then guess what? If I don't like you and I happen to own a very high-powered gun, I could put that gun to your forehead and what would your response be to me? You know what? Jim? You just happen to sit up front all the time, Jim. I'm sorry. I hope that doesn't bother you too much. The rest of the people are going to continue to gather back in the back. But if I came to Jim and said, you know, I've just decided I don't like you and I put a gun to his forehead, what's he going to say? Oh, sure, go ahead, pull the trigger. No, what would you say if I did that to you? Why? Why shouldn't I shoot you? Come on, be bold enough. Why shouldn't I shoot you? It's wrong. Who said it's wrong? There's no truth above the sun. I've decided that it's right, and you're just a pest in my life, and I'm ready to get rid of you. You're no different than a cockroach. And I'm going to get rid of you. What are you going to stand upon to tell me that I'm wrong? Teachers in the public school system, how can, what are you going to stand upon to tell the students that cheating is wrong? That lying is wrong? What objective truth do we go to? Where is justice in the world? It's arbitrary and it's, it's contrived by human beings. And you know the beauty of it? We can change it whenever it doesn't. It's not convenient for us. But if there is a God above the sun who created all things and he said, Bill, I've created all humanity in my image and all humanity has meaning and value in life. You cannot pull that trigger because he has meaning and he bears the image of my son. And you should do, instead of not murdering him, you should do everything to enhance his life. Ah, now I have a standard by which to live. But otherwise, justice doesn't make sense, does it? Try to make sense of justice without God. It doesn't. So what we have to do is as we wrestle with justice and injustice, as we wrestle with all of these things, we have to continually push ourselves back to this. That one day there will be a judge. And one day he will make all things right. That we can trust him one day. You know, I've used the illustration before. What if Bathsheba's parents came to Nathan and to David and said, you mean this scoundrel? He gets off the hook by just saying he's sorry to God. He destroyed our family. He murdered our son-in-law. He has now brought shame to our family. We have been ruined in our community. And Nathan, you're telling me that this scoundrel is getting off the hook because he said, I'm sorry, God? Where is the justice in that? I want justice. I want blood. An eye for an eye. And you know what Nathan could have said if that had happened and should have said? There is justice. One paid for your son-in-law's death. Who didn't deserve to pay for it. One died because of his death. An eye was given for an eye. And that is the one, the coming Messiah. Messiah. For there is one who makes all justice right, who, makes, who brings meaning to all suffering, who brings meaning to everything, because you know how Christ dealt with suffering? He entered right in smack dab into the middle of it. He made suffering a very core part of the Christian faith. Does it mean we understand it all? No. The Christian answers are not the easiest answers, but they're the only answers that make sense. Go to all the modern philosophies, and the ancient ones as well, and see if they make any sense. Because what they will do, the answers they will give is basically to tell you this. Just numb yourself against the pain. Lose your humanity. steel yourself against those things. They will belittle your pain. They will belittle your loss. They will make it small and trivial. Or they will lead you to an answer that is, there's just no meaning at all. Versus a God who said, I saw your pain. And I saw the effects of sin in your life. I saw the ravages of the fall. And you know what I did? I came there. And I redeemed it. I gave death meaning through the death and life of my son. I gave you hope, Bill, that you'll see your dad again one day, and that he's not really dead, and that he's alive, and you'll see him again one day. I'll let you know, those of you who are long-suffering in this world, that there is an eternity waiting for you with no suffering. Those who've experienced an injustice in the world, I promise you that one day I'll come back and make all things right and new. Now, in the meantime, keep fighting for justice. Keep fighting for social justice. Keep moving in people's lives. Keep doing those things. But one day, I promise that I'm coming back. Just go to Matthew 8. And you'll see the demoniac screaming and all of them looking at him and going, It's not the time yet. What did they just tell? They told a big secret that one day the day is coming. One day the day is coming. And Jesus will return. And he will make all things right. And he will make all things new. But in the meantime, I'll end with this. Wrestle. Wrestle with the profound things that are affecting your life. And then go to others around you and then let them in to wrestle with you. Jesus wrestled with it. Father, do I have to drink this cup? And he said, not my will, but yours. It's the same with us. Wrestle with these things. But never stay under the sun. Always look above it. Always look to the God above the sun, who created the sun, who gives all, thing mean, all things meaning. And what you'll find in the middle of it is not all the answers to your why questions. But where you will find a God who walks with you right through the middle of all of it. Let's pray. Father, these are profound and overwhelming things that we deal with. They're not light and trivial. And we thank you that you never trivialize them. Father, you say that you capture our tears. You say that you are drawn to the brokenhearted. You say that you come to those who have experienced injustice. Father, that's the beauty of your message. Father, there's hope for us in this world, that this world isn't just about the seasons turning and turning, but it's about the God who's created all things beautiful and with meaning and significance. And God, our lives have meaning and significance because you gave us that. Father, thank you for that. Would we live in such a way? Would we quit diminishing ourselves? Would we quit diminishing the gifts that you've given us? And would we highlight and celebrate all that you've given us? Would we see the glimpses of glory even in the midst of pain and the fall? For we see you redeeming it all. And one day, one day, and we look forward to that day. To Christ be the glory. Amen. Let's stand and sing.